0: And we're back with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 310, uh, aka year seven, week eight, uh, coming at you this week. As always, I am your host, Mr. Rich E. Rich, along with MC. And we're doing this at an odd time again, so no call in numbers this week. Uh, What is going on with you this week, MC?
1: Uh, Not a whole lot. I, I bought an MR2 from the 80s.
0: This is not your first, though, right? Because I remember no, it's
1: my fourth MR2.
0: Okay, but not even like the not even that's a lifetime's worth. This is the most recent one, but I remember you having one like a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay,
1: yeah, yeah. So the last one I had was actually completely modified, it had a, a V6 in it. This new one's got a, just it's all stock. Um, it runs great, but I think one of the parts that makes it fast, um, or faster uh is not working so i get like 25 horsepower less than i'm supposed to get but other than that it's a great looking car it's fun to drive around
0: um but yeah i just like the way they look right do you do you still have the other one from a few years ago or did you sell that one no i sold it okay so this is like the replacement for that like you bought it you sold it and now you're like i need another i need another mr2 again
1: yeah i go through phases every once in a while i just i just have an mr2 so you know actually i might keep this one for like two months and then resell it okay and i'm in i'm in hawaii so it, uh, there's uh a lot of people that are interested in mr2s uh there used to be quite a big following for mr2s here one one time there was there was a like a mr2 club or something nice and there was 30 mr2s driving down the road and that's like it's like a parade of mr2s
0: that is, cool. them.
1: that is cool. that is cool i had a i had a 86 camaro at the time and and I was following him. I was like, "Oh my gosh, you guys are so awesome!" And then they were just like, "Huh? Who is this white dude? <laughs> Why is he following us?" <laughs>
0: that kind of reminds me of like the Louis C.K. bit where he sees the dude like wearing the, the the rock band shirt, and he's like, "Hey, you with the rock band? You with the rock band?" And then fucking, he wasn't wearing the shirt. He was like, "He we was wearing a different shirt that day," so we, we couldn't even make that connection. <laughs> like, "Hey, look at our two guys! Oh, like you're fucking Camaro, dude! Man, get out of here!" Yeah. <laughs> So one of the interesting things that happened, uh oh, jumping topics here, one of the interesting things that happened on social media, um, like a, a, a friend on Facebook, like I don't know the guy personally, he's like one of the Mises guys, I guess. Um had a great idea for a podcast. And it was basically like this show, down to the name and down to the you, you know, the original <laughs> concept of the show. Okay, well have him join. Uh, yeah, we could. Yeah, we absolutely could. Um, uh, but our you know, our, our mutual friend, you remember Josh. I'll just say, Josh, I don't want to give out too much information about him. Like also pointed out, I was like, oh yeah, some buddies of mine have been doing that for like fucking seven years now. And so I jumped into <laughs> one of the groups like, yeah, here you go, dude. Here's the link. like, you know, well, welcome to get behind the curve, man. So yeah. So if, you know, if you hear another voice on this show in the future, it's because he reached out uh, to me or I reached out to him, one or the other. And, you know, we'll r- roll him into the fold, I guess. I think I, I even know. plugged it. I'm like, yeah, we've been doing it for like seven years, bro. And we've been on like LRN for most of that. So catch up. You know, I like, I like your enthusiasm, uh, but we're already doing it. So we'll see. Uh, I just want to share that. Cause I thought it was funny. Like I didn't, you know, I didn't think that this show um, was an original idea at the time. Um, even to the point where, if you remember like early in the early days, there was like a YouTube channel. Called the Anarchist Experience. And we reached out to that guy because he hadn't put up a YouTube video in quite a while under that banner. Like, hey, we're we're kind of stealing it. You know, if you want to do something with it, like here we are. And we kept going and he basically moved on to you know bigger and better things, I guess, because he hasn't done anything with the YouTube channel uh in even longer time now. Um, but glad people are thinking about it. And because this is a Mises dude, right? I almost feel like he might have a better shot with this, right? He's got like a bigger built-in audience than than we do, and maybe could actually convince Status to call in and get made fun of, right? That was <laughs> that was supposed to be the whole fun of this show. It was like, you morons, you call in, tell us what your favorite government program is, and then we tell you why you're an, an idiot. And people were, I guess, people were not idiots because they were too smart uh, to call in here just to get berated by us. But better luck to him. Uh, you know, again, as an anarchist show, right. There's no real copyright, uh, on this at all. He could absolutely take the name, take the idea, run with it and, you know, do better perhaps. I mean, we'd still be the original, the second original, the original podcast, not a YouTube channel, but yeah, we'll see. I like, I like that people are thinking like us, I guess is the, 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 the crux of my point here. Um, but that's it. Shall we do headlines? It's, we it's. Should. It's a weird hour, and we're, I'm just, woo. All right, headlines. I'm going to read through them all this time because I didn't actually, like, parse this out for what would be good. Uh, headline, Texas launches Operation Lone Star, sending National Guard and state troopers to secure the border after Biden opened floodgates. Uh, headline, so is Joe Biden a Nazi, too? Headline, 8- and 10-year-old escorted home by firefighters after neighbors reported unsupervised kids, uh, headline, capitalism as a religion and the myth of capitalist nature, uh, headline, nine signs that pieces are being moved into place for a major Middle East war, uh, headline, or is it Elon? Oh, man. Elon Musk and other billionaire welfare cases. Headline, why a Green New Deal is more expensive than Joe Biden realizes. Uh, headline The New Normal, Phase Two. Uh, headline The Rights of the Naturally Immune. Uh, headline Biden's Rescue Plan will sick the IRS on anyone who earns $600 in the gig economy. And finally, headline Rioters set fire to federal courthouse in Portland one day uh, after fencing removed. Uh, so, any place in particular you want to start this week, MC.
1: Um that's a, a a really good list if you want to know what's going on. I think uh all of these are kind of important. Um I don't really have a a top pick out of any of them. All right. Um I kind of want to hear about well, I mean some of these are are just uh what do you call it? Like uh gimmies like they they they're obvious, like the one about the 10-year-old. Like I I haven't read the article. I've heard about it, but Um, it's like not much needs to be said about it. It's just, it's just people being overly, uh, cautious about kids and to the point where they take their rights away, you know? So, um, I don't know. Do you have a favorite on the list?
0: Well, I, I, let's start with this one. I don't know if I'd call it my favorite, but it's the one that has, uh, I guess the most widespread ramifications. Uh, nine signs that pieces are being moved into place for a major middle east war um i know oh you, oh, you just like politics well i like following politics i don't like participating in politics uh oh well, it's a it's a plato quote of you know if you don't play in politics you're you're you know destined to be ruled by your inferiors something to that effect uh, but i know i i i had assumed that foreign policy was still uh you know military foreign policy of the United States was still up there on one of your biggest pet peeves with the U S federal government. Is that? Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So when I go like nine signs that, you know, we're up for another middle Eastern war, eh, we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah. But it's, it's, it's like, I, I already know the the result of, of whatever they want to do. It's like, what should the government do? Uh, if if you say anything, you're wrong. So, uh, the government should stay out of the middle East and any interference in there, it's gonna, uh, it's gonna cause uh, a major backfire and uh, lots of problems. So, yeah, the, get on the, with the article.
0: <laughs> the The outcomes for libertarians are always easily predictable, um, and it's amazing that the the politicians from either side of the aisle still pay attention um, or still don't care that what they're doing is going to have these blowback opportunities. Like they somewhere deep down, they still believe that they're doing the right thing. Uh, but again, we get to take, we get to take a shot at Joe Biden. So the American people are really going to regret putting the warmongers back in control. I'll stop right there and say like, I think some of them are already starting to figure that out. Right? Like a, a, a few weeks ago when the bombing of Syria happened, right? A lot of these <laughs> social media posts from the, from the left was, Hey, we voted this guy so we could get free money, not so we could bomb brown people. It's like, well, should have listened to the libertarians, man. Because yeah,
1: that called that, it that one thing right there created uh, uh, a flood of memes for for Biden. Um, but Biden's too old to know what a meme is, so he probably doesn't
0: care. Yeah, or it doesn't know what's really going on, or right? or that. Yeah. So
1: I I have a feeling that that he authorized it. Um, I'm sure he didn't plan it or want it or anything. It's just like uh, it's the establishment telling him what's good. And he says, oh, yeah, go. You you, you know what's
0: right. You do it. <laughs> you know? If that much. Like, I got on. <laughs> um, yeah. As we discussed last week on the show, I, I'm one of those people that believe that his uh, cognitive ability and functioning is on such a decline uh, that he is the most evidently puppet president that we have ever had and it's so clear to those who are paying attention that joe biden has no idea what's going on or what he's doing <laughs> most of the time
1: and that and someone has to be pulling the strings well even when he was running they wouldn't let him talk unless he was scripted so that's what i'm saying like how, every time how, he goes like
0: oh, i guess i could take some questions they cut him off and they get him away and they cut the feed and <laughs> they're like no <laughs> You don't say anything off script. And he knew that going, you know, when, when he was on the campaign trail, like how many times was he, you know, in the middle of a sentence, he goes, Oh, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. I shouldn't be saying this. Like they, they've not authorized me to say this basically, you know, (laughs) he knew what he was, was and wasn't allowed to say, you know? Right. So Joe Biden has been in the white house for less than two months. And the warmongers that Biden has surrounded himself with have been feverishly setting the stage for the next war in the Middle East. I do not believe that it will start within the next week, but I do believe that it is inevitable. While President Trump was in the White House for four years, the U.S. didn't start any new conflicts. But now the Biden administration is quite determined to start projecting American influence all over the globe once again. Most Americans don't understand the bigger picture, but the truth is that it is going to have very serious implications over the next few years. In this article, I would like to examine some of the chess moves that, that have been made since Joe Biden entered the White House. As you will see, a very troubling picture emerges once you start putting all the pieces together. I was hoping this chess analogy would go away uh, now that Donald Trump is not in office, because that, that was their big thing, like 4D chess. He's playing 4D chess. You guys are still, you know, don't even know what's going on. And he never got inaugurated, you know, the the second time as QAnon predicted. (laughs) Number one, literally one day after Biden was inaugurated, a massive U.S. military convoy rolled into Syria. So there you go. That's a Syria thing. A large U.S. military convoy entered northeastern Syria on Thursday, Syrian state news agency SANA reports. Citing sources on the ground, according to the report, the convoy included some 40 trucks and armored vehicles that was backed from the air by helicopters. President Trump had tried very hard to disengage from the war in Syria, but Biden has made it crystal clear that the U.S. will be heavily involved in that conflict moving forward. Number two, just a few weeks later, Joe Biden conducted his first airstrike against Iranian-backed forces inside Syria. The U.S. has carried out an airstrike targeting Iran-backed militias in Syria in the first military action undertaken by the Biden administration. The Pentagon said the strike destroyed multiple facilities and was ordered in response to Two attacks against U.S. and coalition personnel in Iraq. Uh, Militia officials said one person had been killed, but a war monitor reported at least 22 fatalities. Number three, of course, it was inevitable that Iranian-backed forces would respond, and they retaliated uh, by launching rockets at a military base in Iraq where U.S. forces are stationed. Just a couple of days ago, new Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, uh, that guy who runs that thing over there, said that there will be U.S. military responses at a time and place of our own choosing. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin tells uh, at Martha Roddick's, the fucking Twitter handle in the middle of the article, uh, that U.S. is still assessing who carried out recent rocket attacks on a base in Iraq housing U.S. troops, and that if U.S. troops decided to respond, it will be at a time, at a place of our own choosing. So weird thing right there, right? Like, no, 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 on our terms. If we're gonna if we're gonna bomb anybody, it's not gonna be when they think it's coming. It's gonna be on our own terms. Uh, number four, more U.S. airstrikes may come sooner rather than later. In fact, it is being reported that the U.S. had just sent six. B-52 bombers to Diego Garcia. The U.S. Air Force is sending 6 B-52 Stratofortress bombers to Diego Garcia, a military hub that acts as a strategic location for operations in both the Middle East and the Pacific. Citing a U.S. official CNN on Monday report that the Cold War era bomber will be available for operations against Iran if ordered. Number five. The Biden administration is also setting approximately 10,000 more U.S. troops to the Middle East. Once the amphibious assault shift Bataan, which is moving towards the Middle East, arrives, uh, the U.S. will have added roughly 10,000 personnel to the area within the last week, according to the Wall Street Journal. Number six, Russia has been busy making moves in the region as well. On Friday, Russia conducted an airstrike on an oil loading facility in Syria that is used by oppos- uh, opposition forces that are backed by Turkey, Saudi Arabia, and the Biden administration. A suspected missile strike on an oil-loading facility used by Turkey-backed opposition forces in northern Syria sparked a massive blaze across a large area where oil tankers are normally parked. Aerial and satellite images show. Syrian opposition groups and at least one war monitor blamed Russia for the strike Friday night near the towns of Jarablus and Al-Bab. Uh, near the border with Turkey. In a report, the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, based in Britain, said Russian warships in the Mediterranean had fired three missiles that struck primitive oil refineries and tanker trucks in the region. Number seven, meanwhile, Israel continues to hit strategically important targets inside Syria on a regular basis. The following comes from a news report that was published in late February. Syrian air defenses were activated in the capital, Damascus, and its southern suburbs Sunday night to repel an Israeli missile attack, state media reported. There was no word on casualties. State TV quoted an unnamed military official as saying that most of the Israeli missiles were shot down before reaching their targets near Damascus. Number eight, Israel in particular, excuse me, Israel is particularly interested in keeping Iran from developing nuclear weapons. In an interview with Fox News, Israeli Defense Minister Benny Gantz just stated that Israel is ready to attack Iran without any U.S. help. Uh, The Israeli military is updating plans to strike Iranian nuclear uh, sites and is prepared to act independently. Israeli Defense Minister Benny Gantz told Fox News, Israel had identified numerous targets inside Iran that would hurt its ability to develop a nuclear bomb. In the world, if the world stops them before, it's very much good. But if not, we must stand independently and we must defend ourselves by ourselves, Gantz said in his first sit down interview with an American outlet. Number nine, during a phone call last Thursday between Kamala Harris and Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israeli prime minister made it exceedingly clear that his nation is ready to do whatever it takes to prevent the Iranians from developing their own nukes. The prime minister said, we will continue to strengthen our intelligence and security cooperations and said during their conversation that as prime minister of Israel, he is totally committed to preventing Iran from developing nuclear weapons that are meant for our destruction. Of course, the Iranians have no plans to back down, and that makes a military conflict between Israel and Iran inevitable. There will be war in the Middle, of the, in the middle East, and the horror of that conflict will shock the entire planet. And once that war begins, it will greatly accelerate our economic problems and the ongoing political turmoil in this country. So enjoy the, this brief period of relative stability while you can, because our world is about to start changing in a dramatic way. Uh, so as you said, MC, uh, nothing really new here for, for libertarians and those of us who you know pay a little bit of attention to what's going on. Um, why does the why do you think U.S. politicians insist on aiding Israel? Um, and do you find it interesting at all that Israel is not even asking for that aid anymore at this point?
1: I don't know. All right. Because I'm just they they get enough money from us that they can do things uh, on their own uh, and, and pretend
0: that the U S isn't helping them. Okay. That's fair. Uh, But it also seems like at this point, if they're like, well, we could do this on our own. uh, Maybe the U S financial aid ceases, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's time we can stop uh, or the U S federal government can stop uh, aiding uh, Israel in these matters. If you know, if they're at least not even going to be grateful Uh, for the help that they're receiving, or at least acknowledge the help that they're receiving. Like, oh, we'll do this on our own. Uh, Let's see how well you do. No? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) All right. I'm just going to keep reading. Uh, Headline, Texas launches Operation Lone Star, sending National Guard and state troopers to secure border after Biden opens floodgates. Uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott is taking border security into his own hands, sending National Guard troops and state police to combat drugs and people smuggling as Biden administration policies spur a surge in illegal immigration. The new Operation Lone Star initiative will send ground, air, marine, and tactical security assets to high-threat areas of the state's borders with Mexico to stop cartels and other smugglers from bringing drugs and illegal aliens into Texas. Abbott announced the strategy late on Saturday, one day after former President Donald Trump blasted President Joe Biden for creating a spiraling tsunami at the border that is getting worse by the minute. Uh, the crisis at our southern border continues to escalate because of Biden administration policies that refuse to secure the border and invite illegal immigration, Abbott said. Texas supports legal immigration but will not be an accomplice to the open border policy that cause rather than prevent a humanitarian crisis in our state and endanger the lives of Texans. We will surge the resources and law enforcement personnel needed to confront the crisis. More than 100 illegal aliens who have been released by the Biden administration into Texas since j- late January have tested positive for COVID-19, a spokesman for the border city of Brownsville told local Fox News affiliate KFOX on Thursday. The positivity rate for migrants tested at Brownsville's main bus station after they dropped off their Border Patrol agents is 6.3%. Those who test positive are advised to self-quarantine, but the city has no authority to stop these people from traveling anywhere they want in the U.S. The surge in illegal border crossings has been especially acute among minors. Axios reported on Thursday that the average of 321 unaccompanied children a day were transferred by the Border Patrol to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Service custody in the last week of February, up from 47 in early January, before Biden took office. Despite being embroiled in energy and water crises brought on by winter storms that caused power plants and pipes to freeze, Abbott has found time to clash with Biden. Abbott announced last Tuesday that he's ending a mask mandate and other COVID-19 restrictions in Texas, prompting Biden to say, the last thing we need is Neanderthal thinking, uh, end of the article. So what is interesting to me about this, uh, is whereas federal immigration standards may say that the, the border is open, uh, why doesn't Texas have the power to close off their own state borders? Your thoughts? <laughs> You tell me, I don't know. Like, you know, cause, cause to me, um, the, they, they always say the, the libertarian talking point on immigration is that it is not a constitutional mandate, uh, to the federal government, right? The, the federal government handles uh, naturalization of some form or fashion. Uh, but immigration is a state's issue because it's not in the constitution. Like the word immigration doesn't appear in the constitution. Mm -hmm. If that is the case, and it is a state issue, um, then Texas doesn't need the authority from the federal government to close its southern border, right? I think what Texas is asking for is federal aid in closing the the southern border, and that's not, you know, warranted either, right? Like, you know, if you want to close off the border for your state, get your state National Guard out there, get your state police out there, you know, if those illegal border crossers are violating Texas law, well, then prosecute them under the state provisions. No?
1: Um, Sure. Yeah, that's, uh, it. it is interesting to me that there are lots of different ways of looking at the federal versus state laws and where they get their powers from. Um, But then there's the whole individual human rights things that, you know, should be above state and federal government, so um don't know where i'm going with that conversation but
0: <laughs> well okay so let me see if i can flush that out for you. uh it's just a it's just a a line of, you know in the dirt line in the sand a political designation says on one side of this imaginary line you're in mexico on this side of the imaginary line you're in the united states of texas uh you know what i mean and free people should be able to cross that imaginary line unmolested and freely right And so if you go to a individual human rights level, uh, border crossing is not that big of a deal. It becomes a big deal because it is a political issue, right? There's nothing inherently wrong with someone coming over from Mexico, crossing that line into the United States at all, right? They'll take our jobs. Yeah. They might take some jobs, right? They're not going to take all the jobs. Uh, they're probably not even going to take the jobs that you want to begin with. so that's not, you know, that should not be a concern. Uh, they're going to take our welfare. Well, that's that should be that should be the rationale to end the welfare state, right? If if you're worried about uh, illegal immigrants uh, coming over just just to take the welfare and live off the hardworking American taxpayer, uh, you know, you should be advocating for the removal of those programs, and you should then therefore be advocating for the removal of you know taxes. That steal from you in order to pay for them, uh, but it's not their fault. You shouldn't be holding the immigrant responsible for the shit policies of your country or state, right? Ah, they're going to be bringing disease. Well, that may be true as well, but if we're if you're you know solely focused on COVID nineteen, uh, it's not like it's not already here, right? It's not. It's not like they're bring, they're bringing you know the, the death cough with them. Uh, the death cough exists. It's already you know it's already well spread out through the United States and in a lot of places, places are opening back up. So you can't really, you know, hold that against them. Uh, they're bringing in criminals. Uh, yeah, well, they might be, you know, I'm I'm sure some of the people that cross the border, um, if, even if you eliminate the fact that the border crossing itself is, uh, illegal politically, right. Or, you know, by, by decree, uh, they haven't violated anyone's rights. They haven't deprived anyone of life, liberty or property, uh, just by crossing over the border, so it's hard f- to to label them a criminal yet. Uh, but those that would do those things, or those that have done those things uh, in the past, um, I mean, we already have a criminal code to to stop that, right? Or or to to ensure that justice is handled, right? If a, if an illegal border crosser crosses the border and like kills an American family, uh, it's tragic. Um, but it's not like American families or American criminals don't kill American families on a, you know, I would say regular basis, right? And and we have a criminal justice system in place for that. So the fact of where they came from shouldn't matter too much. It's not like it's not like Texas or the United States lives in perfect harmony with each other and all of their neighbors, and this is you know just a peaceful existence, you know uh, disrupted by the marauding Mexican bandits coming over the border. Like, no, there's, there's, there's violence, there's conflict all over the country, you know, regardless of where the, where the origin of those, uh, those committing those acts are. Um, so I think, I don't know if it would even out or balance out or make it worse off, but there's already a system in place, uh, to, to ensure that justice is upheld, uh, if, and when those, you criminals, those real criminals cross the border. So to your point, MC of, of it's, it should be an individual thing. Well, yeah, if it's, if we're talking about an individual thing, just let them cross no big deal. But if you're talking about, you know, where like this, you know, said Texas launches operation Lone star, uh, it looks like they're trying to do just that. They're trying to use their own troops to secure the border. Um, and if you want, you know, if, if you're against the federal government and you say like, you know, states' rights and Tenth Amendment and all that other fun stuff that platitudes that people like to throw out there, well, then sure, this I think that this would be the proper way to handle that under that paradigm. Um, but the the pro the the paradigm that has the most human liberty and the most human flourishing is to abandon that as well and just open up the borders, open up the borders and the welfare state, and then let those who want to come and be productive members of society come and be productive members of society and those who come and want to disrupt society through criminal activity, uh, not just, you know, not just through, you know, maybe just different philosophy or whatever, however that would work out, but through, you know, ap- you know, verifiable criminal activity depriving people of life, liberty, and property, uh, then deal with them the way we deal with American criminals as it already is. Right. Fair. Sure. All right, moving on. Down with that. <laughs> Let's move on. This one's in, this one's sh- uh, relatively short, um, but so so spicy. Uh, so is Joe Biden a Nazi too? You want you want to take a shot? At Pro- this? Just give me yes probably you know. I probably, I mean, probably? Okay. everybody else is a Nazi too, and and he's white, so he's got that going for him. It's fucking white people. <laughs> <laughs> Can't live with them. Pretty soon you can kill them. It's be okay. Uh, is Joe Biden a Nazi? I only ask because he's doing a lot of the same things that the previous incumbent of the White House did. And that guy was always being called a Nazi. (laughs) Remember when Donald Trump administration incarcerated kids who had illegal crossed the Mexican border? That was literally fascism. These children packed detention centers were concentration camps said Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Trump is taking the world back to the 1930s said a breathless scribe at the Guardian. Uh, or how about when Trump dropped bombs on the Middle East? He was branded an insane warmonger. This is the imperial logic of his alt-right leanings, we were told. As for the administration's targeting of Iranian forces, and particularly Iran's top military commander, uh, Qasem Soleimani, killed by an American bomb in January of last year, that was held up by some leftists and liberals as proof of just how deranged Trumpism had become. World, hashtag World War III trended on Twitter. Could tensions between the U.S. and Iran spark World War III, asked one headline. Trump was always either embodying the evils of the Second World War or propelling humanity into a third. As for his bully boy tactics with the press, for journalists in particular, this was technicolor evidence of his fascistic tendencies. Trump's mockery of CNN and the New York Times, whom he frequently wrote off as fake news, was straight out of the 1930s Germany, apparently. If someone can dig out footage of German journalists questioning and ridiculing the Fuhrer to his face in daily press conferences, I'd love to see that. Trump's war of the words against fake news, his niggling desire to punish and censor the press for allegedly promoting misinformation, made him literally Hitler. Hitler also used the ideas of the Lügen Press fake news to attack journalists. Uh, Yale professor Tim- Timothy Snyder solemnly informed us. And now, well, now Biden and some of his top advisors and supporters are doing all of the above. Caging kids from Mexico, bombing the Middle East, depend- demanding that fake news media be reined in. But apparently it isn't fascism anymore. It's normal politics. It's sensible policy. Isn't that amazing that policies can switch from being literal Nazism to being standard American government actions, depending on the name and party of the person signing them off. Yes, the Biden administration really is doing all of the above. Unaccompanied youths who cross the border from Mexico are being incarcerated. Kids aged 13 to 17 are being banged up. Towards the end of February, the Biden administration reopened detention centers for immigration kids in both Texas and Florida. Kids in cages, I hear you ask? Of course not. These are now youths in overflow facilities. That's the language being used. Out has gone CNN's hand-wringing over kids in cages and those staged photos of AOC weeping outside concentration camps and those broadsheets editorials about how putting child migrants into camps had echoes of the 1930s, etc., etc. Now all the talk of is of overflow facilities designed to assist unaccompanied young arrivals. You couldn't make this stuff up. Uh, Democrat New York Mayor Bill Blasio described the homestead facility uh, in Florida as a prison camp where the Trump administration was putting unaccompanied youths in there. He hasn't said a word since the same facility was reopened by the Biden administration for the same purpose. It's almost as if he doesn't actually have any principles. No way. And go ahead. No principles. (laughs) A politician with no principles. (laughs) Imagine that. I think Biden's got no brain, too, though. So I, I, I'm telling you. And don't fall for the claims made by self-styled fact checkers, those modern day monks who fancy that they are the guardians of the truth, who insist that there is a massive difference between what Trump did at the border and what Biden is doing. The Trump administration separated kids from their parents as well as incarcerating unaccompanied kids, whereas the Biden administration lot are only doing the latter. So shut up. That's their message. This is so unconvincing. The unhinged 1930 exploiting fury over the Trump administration antics at the border was not only about family separations, it was also about the very act of incarcerating young people. It was about the prison camps themselves, as de Blasio, AOC, and thousands of weeping journalists referred to them. And now these same people are saying nothing or nodding off along with the idea that it's fine to put children in overflow facilities. Those are the facts. Last week, Biden bombed Iranian-backed forces in Syria. At least 22 people were killed. World War III, nope. This was a nice military attack. One of those decent democratic ones. So different having military action under Biden, said left-wing American author Amy Siskind. No middle school level threats on Twitter. Trust the competency, competence of Biden and his team. I think we talked about that a little bit last week. I was convinced that that was a satirical post. Um, And you convinced me otherwise that she was indeed serious today. (laughs) Like that was the big difference bomb away, but just don't level. Don't, don't talk shit on Twitter. Hey, American presidents, it's fine to kill foreigners. Just don't write a childish tweet about it. Okay. One of Ms. Siskin's online followers agreed such a quiet attack. She said, I'm guessing it was actually a pretty noisy attack for the scores of people killed and injured. Even supposedly more radical people were soft on Biden after he dropped his first bomb. They didn't take to the streets to denounce the evil president for potentially stoking up World War III. No, they made memes saying, you should be writing me a stimulus check, not bombing the Middle East. The narcissism, hypocrisy, and phony anti-imperialism of the Trump-obsessed left summed up. Then there's the Biden lobby's assault on fake news. They are literally doing this, waging a war of words against the lying press or the Lugan press, one might say, and no one is kicking up a fuss. AOC, AOC says Congress must rein in media outlets that spew disinformation and misinformation. That's an overeducated person's way of saying fake news. Last week, two top Democrats, Anna Isho and Jerry McInerney, McInerney uh, wrote to all the major cable companies demanding to know they were why they are hosting such filthy, lying news outlets as Fox News. These people make Trump look like a rank amateur when it comes to reprimanding the press. Sure, he might have barked insults at CNN correspondents and tweeted abuse about the mainstream media, but some Democrats seem determined to cancel what they view as fake news to have these alleged lowlifes taken off the airwaves. And yet it's getting predictably low, I know. There has been no pushback, no talk of the 1930s, no Timothy Snyder column about Hitler. When Trump slams fake media, it's fascism. When Democrats do it, it's fine. This is the Orwellian duplicity of the world we live in now. Political language, Orwell said, can be twisted to make lies sound truthful and murder respectable. And so it is that the kids in cages are now youths in overflow facilities and bombs are now quiet. And competent rather than reckless and dangerous. And what was denounced as a fascistic attack on the free press when Trump was doing it is repackaged as a necessary reining in of misinformation. Now that Democrats are doing it, reality is putty to the new elites, something they must mold to their own taste and interest. Their self serving dishonesty and self aggrandizing propaganda must not go unchallenged. In answer to the question posed at the start of this article, no. Of course, Joe Biden is not a Nazi. oh! But neither was Trump. Those of us those of us <laughs> oh, who jeez. take a grown-up approach to politics know that it is wrong to brand everything as fascism. We also know that it's wrong to abuse language and truth in order to depict yourself as the good guy, even when you're doing exactly what the bad guy did. Yeah, a little disappointing there, because, hey, why not call him a Nazi? Um, well, if they weren't hypocritical, they wouldn't be anything, so... So, um, where do I want to go with this on? I was on free talk live last Sunday and I can't even remember if it was last Sunday or the Sunday. I think it was last Sunday. Um, and a caller called in, um, and, and basically was lamenting about the fact that, um, talk radio seemed to skew to the right. Right. And, and I would attribute a lot of that, you know, to the influence of Rush Limbaugh, um, say what you want about him personally, now that he's dead, um, say what you want about his, uh, perspective, his point of view, his opinions, but his influence over the medium, um, uh, kind of stands on its own as a, as an, as a positive factor, right? Like th- there, would, there wouldn't be talk radio, uh, or even podcasts for that matter, as we know it, um, uh, without him basically leading the way is that, mm. Go ahead and dispute it if you want. No,
1: to. no, I just, uh, he, he, he was popular. He didn't, he didn't lead the way or anything. He was just happened to be, uh, the, uh, you know, the cheerleader at the moment that everybody was following. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, but that, that's, uh, if it wasn't him, it would be somebody
0: else. So I, I don't give him any credit. Um, okay. That's fair. But, but it was him. And, you know, a lot of a lot of what you hear in talk radio now um, follows that influence. If it wasn't him, it would have been someone else, and we'd have a different name to throw out there. But he was definitely on the forefront by chance, by happenstance, by planning, whatever you want to say. Um, but the, the, the dichotomy is that a lot of talk radio tends to skew conservative because of that Limbaugh influence right? And a lot of the mainstream cable news tends to stream liberal or left. So when you look at this article here, and it's basically, you know, calling for some pushback to the mainstream media, um, I would suggest that you would have to look towards a different medium to get that perspective, right? If you continue to watch mainstream media, you know, the, the regular cable news that's out there, you're not going to get that other, uh, that other side of things that push back uh, on the president. However, if you turn on talk radio, you might, because they're, they're, they're likely the ones who are, you know, pushing back and they're not going to push back hard because there's, they still fall within that political spectrum. Um, but they're going to be the ones that you would find that other perspective of uh, going forward and whether or not that they, you know, make a big enough impact or that that medium has a big enough uh, penetration at the moment can be disputed. Uh, but I think that that's where you're going to find it. Right. So the, 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 the language, the, the anti Joe Biden um, propaganda or perspective is likely going to come from, from radio and audio productions and the pro the, the visuals that you see of Joe Biden doing what Joe Biden does and be the greatest puppet in the history of America um, you're going to see that on on cable news, CNN, your CNN, your CBS, MSNBC. Okay, what
1: what you're describing is is more about the left and the right divide more than um, resistance. You know, because like the the conservatives are always going to resist the left, whether you know Biden's president or not. Um, they're always going to be talking about the same thing, um, and most likely. Uh, you know um they the conservatives are are probably uh not bashing Biden that much about uh, bombing syria at the moment I mean, maybe they are i don't know but um they would only be bashing him because he's on the left if if trump bombed syria they wouldn't bash him
0: right but that's what i'm saying is that's where you get the pushback right if if you yeah, if you're it's, looking it's, for people speaking out against joe biden um you're not going to find it on on cable news you're going to find it on talk radio right
1: but it's just the normal divide it's the same as always it's not like i mean everybody already knows that
0: so it's like uh well i don't uh, see that's the thing i don't know if everybody knows that because i think generationally uh the the younger generations favor a more visual medium and therefore are more likely to watch you know tv or youtube yeah,
1: and, and they're also more likely to be liberals
0: too. Right. But part of part of that is its own vicious cycle, right? They're mm-hmm. they're more likely to be because they that's the me, their medium of choice and that medium of choice reinforces that perspective. So they're insul- they're insulated from they're insulated from outside perspectives.
1: Yeah. Even through and the then,
0: educational system.
1: And then they get, and then once they get outside of that, their perspective, the liberal perspective that they uh, assume is everything. And they, they find a new perspective and it's the conservatives. It's, it's not any better than the liberal perspective. I'm not saying <laughs> it's it just is. another, it's just another different one. And so you get in, into that same divide. You get you know, <laughs> liberals and conservatives and uh, it's, it's very, it's very stable in, in my opinion. It's like, um, we had a, uh, you know, libertarians had a, a little bit of growth. Uh, you know, we got up to maybe 2% uh, voting with the... Uh, uh, Joe uh, Jorgensen? Not Joe Jorgensen, the one before him. Gary or Johnson? Gary Johnson. Yeah, Gary Johnson. That was probably the peak of the libertarian growth. And uh, and now we're back to, you know, hardcore, um, you know, left to rightism again.
0: Well, and I, again, part of that is because Joe Jorgensen was not a great
1: candidate. Well, well, sure, I I understand that, but um, the the uh, the medium of exchange hasn't made anything better or worse in, in a long time. It's the situation normal.
0: Okay, so what? How would libertarians then uh, affect that? Like, what's the what's the next oh, medium that they should I, be getting? If into? I had,
1: if I had the answer. I would have done it already, but, uh, I think what made the the biggest difference was the internet and memes and pointing out hypocrisy at the, at both sides. And that's pretty much all you can do to, you know, wake people up.
0: But do you think that's going to be effective, uh, with the Joe Biden presidency or going forward into the next election cycle? Like it, it, are are well, libertarian I mean, memes going to like carry the day?
1: Um, I mean, any, anybody wanting to bash Biden for any reason, you know, whether they're they're uh, libertarian or conservative, uh, is is going to be able to easily point out hypocrisy, and so that's that's a good thing.
0: Um, but you know, most people are still going to
1: follow that left or right paradigm. So.
0: Yeah, and I I know for me, depending depending on which side is in charge, right, is kind of like where I get the message. I don't, I don't want to follow um, the the medium of the message that's in alignment with the president, right? Or, or those in power, right? I, I want to hear okay. from those. So you, when, who are when
1: Trump is in office, you're, you're more likely to watch mainstream stuff. Uh, uh, I mean, TV stuff. And then when Biden's in office, you're more likely to listen
0: to conservative stuff. I would generally say that, um, the, the, the problem, <laughs> the problem with doing it when Trump was in office, uh, is it was so clearly, anti-Trump and a lot of what the claims that were being made were so easily falsifiable. Like it wasn't even a good place to start there. Like I was, oh, yeah, it was
1: a, it was a big joke, but so what you're saying is uh, the talk radio bashing Biden, at least they're
0: more realistic. I, I think they're more realistic. I think they're, they come from a more factual place. Like Biden mm-hmm. is such a gaffe machine that it doesn't take much to like catch him saying hey, something dumb.
1: I had a few people uh, remark about while the election for president was going on that day, the day of that, the, the information, if if you were watching both Fox and CNN or MSNBC or any of the other ones at the same time, they said, you know, Fox is presenting the information as just information and not with a whole lot of bias or anything. It's just, it just is what it is. And, and CNN was, and and MSNBC and all the rest were doing the same thing that they always do, and so uh, one of them was watchable, and one of and, and the rest weren't, you know.
0: Right, and and that's why um, during the during the Trump administration, it it kind of it was difficult for me to like go down that route. Like when George Bush, uh, George W. Bush was president, I watched more CNN. Like I don't watch okay. a lot of cable news, but when I did, when I had to like pick when the big event was coming up, I put that on because that's the opposing perspective that I wanted to see. Um, with Trump, I, you know, it was too unbearable, uh, and too anti-personality, um, right. to get any, any possible information from it. And maybe that was Trump's influence, you know, by calling it all fake news. Um, but I, re- I honestly, I feel like they lived up to it, right? They, he oh, said, yeah. this but- is fake news. And they went, of course we are. <laughs> they doubled down of course yes and they, and they even got caught for it doing it many
1: times you know project veritas or whatever else and right and they just kept doing it well i mean that's i mean that's just became what they do that's that was
0: their way to make money and sell commercials i guess and and so we'll see if you know if uh, if a republican ever gets elected president again if they'll go back to you know a factual uh tearing down of the Republican in charge, or if they'll continue on with this uh, propaganda well, what nonsense. I think What I think will happen is that the, and it'll be hard, hard to prove,
1: or maybe it'll be really easy to prove, but uh, won't be able to do anything about it. Um, is that's that we'll, we'll get a, uh, uh, the old style conservative back in that isn't really a conservative and that's controlled by the establishment. And it, it, it'll be, you know, it's like Biden's the worst puppet we've ever had. <laughs> right can barely form his own sentences but um yeah they'll they'll want somebody that is a total puppet that is easy to control and and that's that'll be the new re- republican guy that that gets gets picked next time
0: um i'll be interested to see like i'm i i called this from the beginning uh, you know trump runs again um and he didn't get convicted during the impeachment thing so he's like he's still eligible um i don't know I don't know what I would expect from the Republican side of things, if not Trump. Uh, like, I don't know who the standout at this point would be like, who's, who's the Republican that could, you know, be the, the hard nosed conservative to go up against puppet Joe Biden. Right. Is the, is there a, is there anyone right now leading that pack in your mind? Like even a name that jumps <laughs> off the page. No, I, I don't want to speculate. And I, Sure. I mean that's fair but i, I but I'm, I'm
1: just saying that the the next person they want will be uh as 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 boring uh as as biden you know
0: <laughs> okay i don't know i think they got i think they got to roll it with trump one more time just to just to bring some excitement no back. i mean I, I if it's up to trump yeah he's going to run again oh yeah but i hope he does like that'll whoo that'll that'll be so much fucking fun it's like you know but not to me because
1: because I know Trump doesn't really have any principles. And if he does, he doesn't have any way to implement them. So uh, I me, me, politically, I just want to see – I do want to see things change. Um, sometimes, even for the worst, like uh, in Hawaii, they just raised income tax 5%. Oh,
0: good luck with that.
1: And I, And I think it's hilarious, you know, because all well, the people struggling – to get by here, the ones that are actually making an income that are dependent on income, those are the ones getting hurt the most. The people yep. who are already rich and have property in Hawaii, um, they're not getting hurt at all.
0: Yeah. And and, and at the beginning of COVID, we kind of called that too, right? Like the state is not going to go without their funds. They will find a way to get it from you. You know, they, they will raise taxes somewhere wherever they can to make up whatever shortfall they experienced in 2020.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they could raise property taxes, but Yeah, they but don't because they're all rich. Yeah. And they they own stay the property. Yeah.
0: <laughs> they're not, they're not going to raise property on themselves. <laughs> what? Rich people pay more taxes. No, forget it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's transition into this article then. Cause I, it may touch on that a little bit. Um, Capitalism as Religion and the Myth of Capitalist Nature. Uh, Now, I will say this is from the Center for a Stateless Society. Uh, I always make sure to caveat when I use them as show prep. They are a left-leaning market anarchist. uh, Sorry, I'll just read off here. A left market anarchist think tank and media center. Uh, So their use of the term capitalist and capitalism may not be how you would define it. Uh, But that's how they choose to operate and obfuscate terminology. But we'll just read it anyway. A brief inquiry into the diagnosis provided by Walter Benjamin. A religion may be discerned in capitalism. That is to say, capitalism serves essentially to allay the same anxieties, torments, and disturbances to which the so-called religion offered answers. Capitalism is probably the first instance of a cult that creates guilt, not atonement. Myth does not deny things. On the contrary, its function is to talk about them. Simply, it purifies them. It makes them innocent. It gives them a natural and eternal justification. It gives them clarity, which is not that of an explanation, but that of a statement of fact. There are multiple ways in which the current system of domination, oppression, marginalization, estrangement, and dispossession that is called capitalism may be illustrated as described as. For Walter Benjamin, capitalism can only be understood as a religious system, one where the individual is subject to partaking in rituals that have no theology nor doctrine, but ultimately are obliged to make offerings to maintain their worldly aspirations satiated. This cultic reverence to the commodity is reflected by the terminology of capitalism. Capital investment, bull market, bear market, ask price, market trend, stakeholders, entitlements, nine to five, and so on. All these terms hold a special meaning in the religion of capitalism. All these terms invoke a specific understanding of the inner workings of capitalism and the cultic level that perpetuates itself, which eats reverent utterance and enlivenment. Perhaps even more explicitly than the object of circulation and medium of transaction, paper money, fiat currency, is merely one physical manifestation of the cultic talismans of capitalism one with seemingly diminished relevance in an age of digitization and high-speed information. Nonetheless, the sum of these practices is transformed into an imperative, something to be done, a ritualization of the alienating process of stripping labor from the laborer, the ritual of work and toil, the Protestant work ethic in all its magnanimity. The depiction and understanding of capitalism as religion embodies a key concern of Benjamin with its impact on the human psyche. A fermentation of guilt that is universalized, reification of the processes as true of daily societal function, that heaps on the belief that this dispossession is deserved, a state of damnation that cannot be atoned for, as the religion is one of guilt-baking, the Calvinist notion of total depravity made manifest with no hope of expatiation nor redemption. Benjamin puts Max Weber on his head. From here, semiotics, the study of signs, linguistics, pictorials, objects, gestures, etc., may be employed to further illuminate key features of the argument Benjamin makes regarding capitalism as well as the myth that human nature is capitalistic, a myth invoked by capitalism's most ardent defenders. The idea of myth comes from L- Roland Barthes' Mythologies, a book of collections of writings on the cultural development and Fordist reconstruction of post-war France. A myth can be defined as a second-order semiotic system whereby extant signs turned into new s- signifiers in relation to the signified. It is, it is the construal of meaning that can be made salient among larger audience of individuals within a given society. A classic example can be seen with this magazine cover. Uh, and it's a magazine cover in the article here. We see a black man in French uniform saluting what would likely be a commanding officer of the French flag, a demonstration of patriotism. The image is the signifier connotating the mythology of French empire, multicultural and multiracial, but above all loyal to the French identity and nation. The myth takes upon a role of wiping away the historical and structural context, naturalizing it in a pure palatable understanding. It distorts the complexity in favor of definitive simplicity, something easily understood en masse. The myth takes the place of emptied history. As such, it is not arbitrary. It is an image of the norm acceptable and to be accepted by the public. It imbues an essence that is thus treated as inherent and characteristic of the imagery, a naturalization of an idea not reflected of the signified. Barthes goes on to explain that the processes of mythologizing is one that has depoliticizing effects in what is signified, thereby nullifying the capacity in which the individual consumer of myth may be able to discern its inner workings. The goal of the semi is, and the purpose of the semiology is not merely to understand and study signs, but rather how those signs may transform into seemingly immutable mythologies and truisms commonsensical day-to-day notions can be pulled apart and demystified. This formulation provided by Barthes can be understood as weaponizing the study of signs and sign relations against the bourgeoisie empire of common sense. Likening capitalism to a religion is not a process of mythologizing capitalism. That would be a misunderstanding of Benjamin's fragment, a fragment that parses out and identifies the features of capitalism's most characteristic of religion. That is a deeply politicized process, a uh, project one that seeks to demystify the inner workings of the system at hand that is outlined in part by Weber. As a result, however, those parsed features in themselves appear to have taken itself a mythic form through the Weberian conceptions of labor and capital, mythic forms that appear imprisoning and agent denying. Of these notions that capitalism is human nature, that is, one's telos as a human to work and devote themselves to labor to reap whatever satisfaction and gratification they can get. Thus, the semiotician here is tasked with disentangling two things here, the first of which is capitalism and the second being human nature. To simplify the task, it may be assumed that capitalism's mystic status maps onto the critical examination that is provided by Benjamin, a mythology that rips capital from its historic development and processes in the contemporary context. This can be best illustrated by the ritual of cost-benefit analysis to increase investor confidence in the corporate policy a saying that is received well in the hallowed halls of the conference room. This is rather superficial and surface level, yet not incorrect. Most recently, however, is the continued process of accumulation and enclosure of the brutal nature of crystallizing damnation that has been told to be an original sin of modern humanity, first espoused by programmatic followers of St. Mark's, then by those who fail to recognize this deeply political and an ongoing process that leaves many destitute and dispossessed. These failings that result in the first myth lead towards the second myth, the naturalization of said myth. The idea that capitalism is a human nature maps onto the notion of reification, the notion of accumulation, the web of relations, capitalist and laborer, transactions, wages, and so forth, are built upon the myth of capital's seemingly permanent existence and transplants itself onto a myth of nature. One must labor to earn, for that is natural. One must submit to order, for that is natural. One must recognize their place, for that is natural. Nature is thus corrupted through dismemberment and is emptied out of the myth, its process obscured. Human nature takes the place of a complex dynamism of daily life, the varied ways which life is carried out by the individuals, encapsulating it all under the signifiers that signifies in tandem with capital. The myth then preys upon the transformative powers of struggle, recuperating it under the terminology of repentance and its religion of capital. Escape is seemingly impossible, that identifiable guilt remains universal. To that end, identifying capitalism as religion must not be taken lightly. It is, as stated before, a diagnosis of the condition human society persists with that sought to parse out the ritualistic mechanisms within it. A diagnosis, however, is useless if there is no cure. The semiotician steps in to identify the extent of the disease, the depth and scope of the rituals as manifest through the mythologized naturality of capitalism, providing a potential point of departure that is forged, forged from contextuality one that recognizes capitalism as not this reified thing in and of itself that exists naturally, but rather an extant system of domination that is deeply political in its workings. Political agency is restored to those otherwise dispossessed and estranged. Any action that seeks to undermine myth, then, is a political of affirmation as well as exit, sabotaging the established bourgeoisie conceptions and reasserting the autonomy of the individual." The role of the semiotics and analysis of science today can be a tool and a weapon in understanding the transformation of capitalism towards further immaterial and digitality. As the signs take increasing prominence in digital accumulation, so too constituted signs become new basis for mythic conceptions. It is of this great importance then to examine the terrain in which these signs are produced and reproduced, how they wind up as a persistent myth that kneecap the political inertia of liberatory struggle end of the article uh so are are we bound to the myth of capitalism and can we escape oh my gosh that was a lot of words yep told you center for stateless society man <laughs> <laughs> they have a tendency to do that with words that was, that was wordy <laughs> um
1: <laughs> yeah i stopped listening halfway through I, I mean i tried but um i'll have to read it again and then uh, i read fast that's fair yeah no, I mean it's not that you're reading too fast. It's it's that I I have to be able to stop and think about uh, you know the topic and what I agree with and disagree with while it's while I'm reading it, not just uh, one big uh, concept. You know. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, I love talking about even the word capitalism uh, and how it gets uh, abused and yeah. misused and all that stuff. Um, well.
0: With, without understanding their terminology in here, do you generally believe that capitalism is a concept that can be escaped from in your own definition of it, um, or is it just, you know, like I would say, is just how things would be uh, absent interference from an external source?
1: Yeah, that's that's a tough one, and that's so. Yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to renegotiate in my brain what does capitalism mean to me. And- okay. So, and, and redefine everything and then, and then say, does what they're talking about, uh, you know, fit that. Um, but I don't know, you tell me, uh, how, is, is what, what, was the question about even capitalism, uh, being, can you escape capitalism? Well, okay. Or, so as- my,
0: my gen- my takeaway from the article is that capitalism as it relates to religion is a mythology, right? And, and, and once you parse out the mythological elements, you can remove yourself from the constraints of the myth. Right. Um, I was at, I was at dinner, <laughs> I was at dinner Tuesday night. Uh, and there was a group of us and I'll try to make this brief. Cause we're kind of pushing the end of the show anyway. Uh, and one of, you know, we had the, the whole like uh, hyphenated anarchism conversation, right? He's like, why are all these anarchists like taking over with the, the black and yellow? I go, those are the AnCaps, dude. He goes, why would they do that? Like, they're they're trying you know and and he refused to hyphenate right like you know he he behaved as an anarcho-capitalist would like a lot of his beliefs uh fall in line with the anarcho-capitalist which is why when he surrounds himself with other ancaps uh the use of the term anarchist is perfectly acceptable right mm-hmm. he's like i hang out with anarchists well he's hanging out with ancaps uh he just doesn't like the hyphenation uh i jokingly said well his new hyphenation is like incognito ancap right he's like he's double hyphen now uh, because he refused, <laughs> he refuses the terminology, but will behave as such. Um,
1: well, I mean, if, if, if he fully understands anarchism, then he, he, well, according to the, what we do, then, then he is right. So
0: understood. And so what I, what I told him was depending on the crowd I'm in, right. In, in a, in a crowd of normies and muggles, I'm a libertarian, right. In a room full of libertarians, I'm an anarchist, right. In a room full of anarchists. I have to hyphenate to an ancap to differentiate my my version of anarchism from those of the communists, and the reason that I hyphenate uh, as an ancap primarily is not that I believe that capitalism um, is by far the best way to organize society. Um, I do agree with that. However, my belief is that uh, a society absent a state will organize itself as such, right? Like I believe that capitalism will persist absent a state. I don't believe communism will persist absent a state socialism, you know, whatever, uh, syndicalism or whatever, uh, because I won't participate in that, right? Like you've already like your, your whole society resolves around, uh, absolute compliance by all members and I just won't be a part. So it, it, it will not exist, uh, with me around. It. Um, So when the, when they say like capitalism is, is as a religion or as a myth, I go, well, I don't think you can escape from that because I believe that absent all of those things, capitalism itself, the voluntary exchange of goods and services, you know, without state incursion, um, is the, the persisting factor that, that travels through all human trade.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I, I think statism also Exists uh, absent of any, uh, I don't know. <laughs>
0: it higher may. power, I guess. <laughs> <You know>? Well, <laughs> because the, <I> mean... <laughs> the idea may persist, but what what makes true statism possible, right, is that mythological belief that some people are your betters, and I do think over time that people can be swayed away from that belief, right. And state actions be delegitimized, um, you know, and, and it's one reason why I supported, you know, the, the, the uh, chop and chaz, right, because at least in their own little autonomous zone, right, there were there was no pretense of legitimacy of their authority over anything that went on, right, it, it removed that completely from the equation. And I think over time, we can remove that from greater society. Right, that pretense of authority that is imbued upon the state, uh, at which point all that is left, right, is the voluntary exchange of goods, services, and ideas that I would consider to be capitalistic in nature. I don't know. I think, I think there was plenty of dictators at the Chaz Chop. Right, but they did not have um, the authority imbued upon them by those that they were dictating over. Yeah,
1: not yet. understood but, yeah they, they, but that's they... that's kind of my point is that you know if you take everything away capitalism statism and plop it down like what forms well i think both form
0: okay fair final thoughts No, yeah, that's all all right that'll do it for us then you guys know where to find us Anarchistexperience.com on telegram me slash anarchist experience or me slash the anarchist experience and if you would like to contribute to this show financially, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchist experience. Thank you very much for listening and I'll talk to you all next week. Peace.